Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Today, it's clues in the news. What can the headlines tell us about what's happening in the housing market? It's all roses, isn't it? We'll take a deeper look today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. When it comes to positive cash flow, it's essential to keep expenses and vacancy low. Wouldn't it be great to buy a brand new rental house with a builder's home warranty in a strong jobs market? Now you can. Discover the Build to Rent program from Texas Investor Homes. Buy a brand new rent-ready single-family home in the top job creation market in the U.S., Houston, Texas. Our friend Ron Black has prepared a short webinar with all the details. Send your email request to buildtorent at realestateguysradio.com and we'll send you the link. That's buildtorent at realestateguysradio.com or visit the resource section of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. Real Real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Now in our 17th year of broadcast, it's exciting to be talking about real estate when the market is rocking. Let's meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. And the man we call the godfather of real estate. He's seen a few of these markets in seven different decades, Bob Helms. Robert, Russ, great to be with you again. You know, the headlines and the reports are out saying that real estate is back. And we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show, the return of equity. We saw lots of the MSAs, metropolitan statistical areas, up. Prices are up. Sales are up in some areas. And it seems like all is great. But as real estate investors, we know there's always more to the story. And today, what we're going to talk about is what the market is telling us, where it is, and some ways that we can play as real estate investors that can ensure us long-term success. Anybody can ride a short-term wave and look brilliant. It's what happens when the light of day hits. And there's been a lot of change in the market in the last few years. And I think there's this need and desire people have to say, oh, the market's back, the market's back. And we're not so sure that it really is back. 
I think one of the important things is to understand that the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world have been working overtime since the crash to reinflate assets to protect banks' balance sheets. So you can say, well, that's a good thing or a bad thing. It really doesn't matter. That's what they've been doing, and it's pretty clear. And the banks really have taken the money, but they haven't really turned around and lent it back out again. And so we have a constipation problem in our financial system, if you will. So uh, part of what we're waiting to see is this move back into having having a lot of financing available in the market. And we haven't quite seen that yet, although it's been loosening up a bit. The bigger question is really, are these asset values real? And you can ask that question not just about real estate, but clearly about the stock market. People are beginning to wonder, is this rally for real? How can we continue to have this jobless recovery? And as a real estate investor, one of our obsessions has got to be, if we're renting to people, that they have jobs. So you have to look behind the curtain, under the hood, under the covers, behind the fence, any way you can. You've got to try to figure out what's really happening. And so when you look at the giddiness in the mainstream media who really look at asset prices as an indication of financial health, and I'm not so sure that that's the case, uh, they're happy because they see stock prices are up and housing prices are up. Oh, and grocery prices are up and gas well, prices I mean, are up. That, yeah, that's the flip side of it. So the question is, is when you go to the fundamental side of things, not just the price side of things, is what's driving the market real and is it sustainable? Because when you buy an income property and sign your name on that dotted line for a, a 15 or 30 year mortgage, you're kind of getting married to that thing, especially if asset prices pull back and you're not able to get out of it. So you can't day trade real estate. You can't approach it the same way you would a portfolio of stocks. Uh, you need to really take a look at the fundamentals. Not only that, but the transaction costs are so high. Even if you're flipping properties and you are meaning to get in and get out quickly, you got to have enough margin that your sales costs can be covered by that. And just market appreciation maybe isn't enough. Now, across the board in the last year, we've seen almost double-digit appreciation, depending on which study you look at, and we look at all of them. But the general consensus is that real estate values across the U.S., we're not going to cover the rest of the world today, but across the U.S., around 8%, some as high as 9.5, some down in the sevens, but that's what we're saying. We're also seeing markets, lots of them, where there's been double-digit appreciation in the last 12 months. Several of those markets at 20% and more, at least one of those markets at 30%. Well, that's interesting to watch and say, okay, well, prices are up. Did I miss the boat, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, or is there still opportunity? Are prices still going to go up? Well, we need to think about what's driving prices. Before we get to that, let's just kind of take a quick look at what's happening around the United States markets because we've got a lot of recent information on that. CoreLogic report came out, a couple of reports came out actually in the last week or so uh, that indicate that there is more equity now in the market, and mostly that's because the underwater mortgages are fewer in number. If my house went up just enough to be even with my mortgage, technically I'm no longer underwater. Now let's put some numbers on it. Let's say that I bought the house at $100,000 and uh, then it went down in value to 60, which happened in some markets. My loan's 90, it's about what 10% down back in the day. As soon as I get back to 91 uh, value of my house, I'm not technically underwater. Now, I'm also not back to full. I'm not back to the 100 I paid, nor would I be flush if I had to sell because of the sales costs we talked about. So what we're generally seeing is that there are more households today that are not as underwater as they were, but there's still 14.5% of all homes that are underwater. 
So I think this is important to comment on because, again, as real estate investors, we're interested in income. We're interested in long-term property ownership. And we're less interested in the appreciation because if we're going to keep the property, we're really not going to see it. Now, later on, of course, in our book, we talk about building a portfolio and building up your equity, but it's got a cash flow along the way or you can't stay in the game. But the real concept here is, is the central banks have been working on a concept they call the wealth effect. And maybe they don't call it the wealth effect, but people who watch what they do call it the wealth effect. And it's the idea that if my stock portfolio is up and I feel wealthy, I will go spend my money. I don't feel obligated to save. A behavior, by the way, that they encourage. A behavior which they absolutely encourage. That's what it's all about. And the same is true with the house. If you're underwater, you're less motivated to make the mortgage payment. You know, at the end of the day, does it really matter? If the house is going to be paid off in 30 years and you're making the payment, does it really matter what the value is today? If you need a place to stay and you're coming out of pocket as part of your paycheck to pay to stay somewhere and you own a house, does it matter what it's worth? That's right. So it's in your head. And it's so this is a psychological game that Absolutely. gets played with the consumer public, which is basically to make them feel wealthier than they really are based on their income and their expenses. And it takes the sting off of rising consumer prices. And if you are the type of person that owns assets, owns stocks, you're going to be okay with that, especially if you take your profit from time to time in, in, in the stock market, especially move some of that off of the equity side and turn it into the cash side. Uh, you can mitigate some of that risk. For the people that are living paycheck to paycheck, the inflation absolutely screws them. And we have to care about those people, even if we aren't those people, because those are the people we rent to. Absolutely. Most tenants are in that very situation. More tenants than than usual in an average marketplace because of what's happened in the last few years. And that's great if you're a landlord. So this is not a doom and gloom show. We are bullish on real estate. We wouldn't have a show about real estate for 17 years if we didn't feel that there was some merit in it. But you have to go in eyes wide open. And a lot of fools are rushing in today going, oh, the market's back. The market's back. I'm not so sure that it's back. There are certainly elements that are back, but we also have to look at what happens long-term on housing values based on two things, real jobs and affordability, which is based on interest rates. So what's happened to interest rates in the last few months? Well, they're up. And now, you know, we laugh at, oh, they're all the way up to five because in the grand scheme of things, anything that's an interest rate with a single digit is probably okay, right, Bob? Quit whining about it. It's awesome. You ought to go get all the fixed 30-year loans you could get at anything under 10, as far as I'm concerned. Well, but the point is, an increase that we've seen that's up a point or 1.2 or whatever it is, is a 25% increase in less than a year. That's a fast move in an interest rate environment, to go up 25% in less than a year. That's a quick move. It absolutely is, and it has effects throughout the entire food chain. You know, we've got a government that's highly in debt. We have a state government that's highly in debt. We have corporations that are sitting on a bunch of cash, so most of them are in pretty good shape. You've got a lot of consumers that are in debt. Uh, credit card and so on. And when that debt adjusts to these new higher interest rates, that's that much more cash flow that isn't available to bid up the price of a house or to bid up the rent on an income property. So interest rates definitely matter. And it is 
is always compared to what? I mean, you know, what is high? What is low? It really depends. You know, from Bob's perspective, he goes, I remember when the prime rate was 20%. Well, okay. And 10% looks great. But if you're coming from a paradigm that for the last 10 years, you've never seen an interest rate over five and it went all the way down to three. And now we're getting back up to five in your scope of looking at interest rates. This is as high as it's ever been. So it's not only the reality of the amount of payments that are having to come out of your pocket, just debt service going from three to five or whatever the number is, but it's also the psychology of how much you're paying and ooh, that's expensive. Well, and it's not even about the three to five. It's about the payment going from 1500 to 2100 because every day your tenant or an owner of a property has to come up with that money. And if you have to come up with more money to pay for your housing, whatever that looks like, that's going to eat into everything else that you're doing. When we see interest rates go up, whether it's in buying cars or buying houses or luxury yachts, we see prices come down. People will spend less because for most people, it's about that monthly payment. $2,000 a month is what I can afford, and that gets me X. Well, when interest rates go up, $2,000 a month now gets you X minus. It doesn't get you X anymore. In fact, the Mortgage Bankers Association had reported just last week that there was some uh, uptick in refinancing. That is all but gone. In fact, refinancing has uh, slowed down quite a bit. In fact, there's been many weeks in a row here, uh, notwithstanding a uh, week before last, where there has been a decrease in refinancing and financing in general. Let's talk about that. We look at the affordability of property, but the reality is in many markets right now, more than 50% of the purchases are for cash. Yeah, that's such a key ingredient because what that tells you is who the buyer is. This is not Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner. It's not first time. It's probably not second and maybe not even third time because they won't have had the ability to amass a 50% down payment. So this tells you these are investors. It doesn't tell you how well prepared they are and how much homework they've done before they jump into these markets. Well, look at some of the hot markets, like take Southern Florida, right? Miami and those markets where you've got 60, 70% of the transactions in some given months are cash, most of those to non-US citizens. Well, those are folks who live somewhere else who see the U.S. on sale or just want a place here and prices are down. Prices are affordable compared to where they were. Miami's always been desirable to those folks. So, hey, looks like it's on sale. Let's get us a condo. Oh, by the way, we already have one in three other places. We don't need to rent it, so we don't need to worry about fundamentals like jobs. We just want to have a place. Well, that drives real estate sales. But that has nothing to do with interest rates. This goes back to understanding the psychology because, you know, we're in America. We're going, oh, I remember how it was. I remember how America was, what the unemployment rate was, what the growth rate in the GDP was, how strong the economy was. Now, you know, you're looking at where we are today. Our dollar's weaker. Our employment isn't strong. You know, it's just there's some concerns in the fundamentals of our economy. But if you're coming from a foreign country, you know, you're saying, gee, I, now I have an opportunity to go into the United States. Their property ownership laws are stronger. Their legal system is more stable. Their dollar is strong compared to where I come from, right? right? I mean, so again, you have to understand that it's always a matter of perspective. There's two sides to every coin. And so, you know, we're talking about, hey, it's exciting that, that housing seems to be coming back from an asset perspective. And it, it is. And that's great. And if you, if you are the proud owner of a property you bought a couple of years ago, you know, and you've gotten great equity appreciation, good for you. Equity happens. I mean, we love that. The concern is, is and, and the thing that we're trying to have this reality check on is that when the market gets hot, we've seen our podcast listenership go way up. We see people getting a lot more interested in getting into the gravy train, which is great. 
But it's important that when you go in, you go in and you understand that it's going to be a wave just like it always is. And on the backside of this, there will be a pullback. In fact, we've already seen some indications that it might already be happening, a much tighter cycle than we've seen in the past. And the question is, you know, how can you position yourself to continue to make money if you're just coming in? And if you are already in, how can you position yourself to protect what you've already gotten? Those are the very questions we're going to answer before we're done today. We've got more to share with you. Then we'll give some ideas and strategies you can use when the market gives us this. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helm. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Do you know what city was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February? It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors and a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash-flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. With conventional and non-conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way to ensure that 2014 is your best year yet? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You, too, can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2014 Goals Retreat, January 10th to 12th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend event has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click Events, or call 888 888- 489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2014 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723, extension 18, today. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. We're talking about the housing market. We're going to touch a little bit on some other angles and even a little bit in commercial today. But, you know, it looks like a lot of markets are up, and that all sounds good. But when we look a little deeper, it's not necessarily true. In fact, there's kind of two groups of single-family housing metrics out there. There are existing home sales, and there are new home sales. Many of the consultants that work at the highest level and have the most recent information are those who cater to the new home builders, and therefore that's some of the best information we have. And new home sales haven't been all that great. 
Yeah, so I've got a couple of articles here. This one from the Business Insider, and it's dated August 27th. And uh, the headline is, all of a sudden, the whole world is fixated on the U.S. housing market. Yeah. And of course, they are, you know, because they think that the housing market leads the recovery. And we could debate that, and maybe we will. What they're saying is the U.S. housing market data releases have become less interesting to investors in 2013 as continued strength in the data month after month had become routine. And most have accepted that the market appears to have carved out a bottom and started a new upward trajectory. However, right. is the next paragraph, the rise in interest rates, which we've been talking about, that accompanied the sell-off in the bond market has, sh has sparked a sharp rise in mortgage rates this summer, raising fears that the Fed's actions are dampening housing market activity, which could in turn slow the economic recovery in the United States. So then there's this other article that came out in the Wall Street Journal and its headline is new home sales, not so august, kind of a play on words. Uh, and this is dated September 11th. It says home builders across the U.S. are beginning to hit the limits of what buyers will pay for new homes in this market. And John Burns Real Estate Consulting, a company that we follow, is quoted here saying a survey of 273 builders found that the respondent sales of new homes declined by 4% in August. And this other article that I previously referenced talked about how new housing sales had plunged by 13.4% in July over June. And so when you put those two articles together, you begin to get a picture of what's happening. And these builders are starting to try to press the prices up. Now, Bob, this is interesting because historically, what happens to home sales in the summer months? They get great. People are out of school. It's time to move and get your kids relocated. Sometimes you're looking at a new job. Classically and historically, this is a key part of the season. In fact, in most Julys and Augusts, we see increases in sales and usually a corresponding increase in price as those dollars chase those homes that are available. In fact, usually it's a couple of percent and now we're down. So the delta between what it normally is up and what we're actually down make it even worse. Yeah, it caught a lot of people off guard, which is why there's so much, so many articles on this topic. Uh, it says far fewer of Burns survey respondents reported raising their prices in August than they had in previous months. Those figures show substantial change from the results of Burns July survey in which 64%, two thirds, reported raising prices. Well, we saw what happened when they did. That's right. They, they, they dropped their sales by 13%, right? Well, let's, let's visit for this for a minute because the existing home market, right? A market you're very familiar with, Bob, is based on individual sellers of real estate. And when interest rates go up, they're going to have to attract offers based on how badly they want to move. If they decide, yeah, I don't need to move that badly, they can set out the market. Not so true for publicly traded companies. What do new home builders do? New home builders don't lower the price ever. New home builders increase the price every phase. It's something we talked about in our book called phased equity. Even in a flat market, what builders tend to do is sell the first phase of homes at a low price, sometimes even lower than their cost to get momentum up. And then as they phase through one or two or five or 10 phases of real estate, the price goes up. That makes everyone feel good. Back to the psychology Russ was talking about, and everyone has equity who bought. So you have all happy campers in the neighborhood. So the last thing a, a new builder ever wants to do is lower their price. At the same time, when they see evidence like we have in the last year that markets are going up, they're going to be among the first to try to push their prices up, which again, we saw happen. 
The problem is they're not all talking to each other. And so John Burns and lots of guys like him go back afterwards and find out, hey, what did you guys do? And they go, woo, we all tried to raise our price and look what's happened. So today when you're out looking at new homes, it doesn't mean they're all going to be on sale. But what you start to see is that these folks are very clever. Rather than lower the price, they will throw in all kinds of incentives. They will. There's a lot of markup in some of the options and things you get in homes. So they'll throw in some of that. They'll play games with the financing. They'll do whatever they can so that you don't buy the house for a lower price than your brand new neighbor next door did. Yeah, very good point. If you look at the way the builder wants to work, first of all, he never wants that precedent set of having a lower price if there's any way to avoid it. And the point you make is a good one, that the options he gives you generally are high profit ticket items. So that's a place he can readily give something up, sacrifice that profit if it supports getting the higher price. You know, we bought a new house once and accidentally the builder put a misting system in the backyard. I say accidentally because it was ordered to be installed at the same floor plan house five houses down and they just messed up. Well, they weren't about to take it off. So we essentially got a free $15,000 outdoor mister system. However, then we wanted to have some of those bangle lights added to the kitchen. Just three little lights, $6,000 was the price, right? So <laughs> they were trying to make up for the misters, I think. Anyway, the point is when you look at new housing, it doesn't always act the same as existing housing. And the reason is, who's the seller? If the seller is a big publicly traded builder, they are going to not be as emotionally tied to pricing as mom and pop who are deciding to put their house on the market because, oh, look, our market's up 20%. Yeah. And the other thing we look at when we look at new homes coming on the market, I mean, as investors, sometimes, you know, we're buying new homes. I mean, we've just been working with Ron Black and he's doing that down in Houston. He's Absolutely. got a hot jobs market. There's not enough inventory. It's like, let's get some investment capital down here. Let's buy some brand new properties and let's get them tenanted. But of course, what he's doing is building houses that tenants want to live in at the very affordable end of the market. He's not building McMansions. Well, and I think that that's really the important part because where we're at right now is there are headwinds and there are tailwinds that the real estate market, which is, you know, encompasses all kinds of little sub markets and it's a big picture, but there's macro trends and there's micro trends. Yeah. And in, in the Houston marketplace, for example, they have a lot of really good things going for them with the jobs and all that. But at the same time, you've got the macro things that are affecting them, rising interest rates and rising cost of living uh, for the, the tenants. And so, you you know, you have to try to mitigate that. And that's why market selection ends up being a big part of what you're doing. But when we see new homes coming out of the ground with higher commodity costs associated with them, by definition, they begin to pull the market up. And so it is of concern as a real estate investor, even if I'm not investing in new homes, when I see home builders beginning to find some headwinds or some resistance against pushing that price up, especially if my primary profit motivation is price appreciation in the short term, right? Because if I'm buying today thinking, hey, this property went up $50,000 year over year last year, maybe it'll do it again this year. That's a very speculative position to be in. And there are markets where you can do that. And there are economic cycles where you can do that. I personally am not convinced this is one of them simply just based on prices going up without income going up, without jobs going up. Well, let's stop right there because you just mentioned that the reason Houston is strong is because of jobs. A lot of the Texas market, strong, strong, strong because of jobs. People are moving to take new jobs. Job growth is great. That's not true everywhere. In fact, there's been a couple of interesting articles that have come out about jobs and, in general, the workforce. 
Yeah, that's a great point. So in uh, in an article that we found here from Economics, it's really interesting. And they're, they're actually showing a couple of charts here. And if you hold your eyes up really close to your uh, iPod or whatever, the radio, you can see these charts. Uh, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics is showing what we've got is a situation where Americans aren't working. Yeah. And that's a demographic thing that has actually started even before the recession came. So it's not just because we've got these economic headwinds. It's part of just what's going on demographically in our society. In fact, it says almost the entire reason that the labor participation rate has fallen is the drop in the number of people in the labor force either working or actively looking. So labor participation rate, that's important metric to talk about. We don't hear that a lot. That's of the able-bodied workforce, how many are choosing to be employed? And it is at a 35-year low. Yeah, and this is really important because when you hear quotes like, oh, the unemployment rate is 7.3%. Yeah, there's a word for that. Crap. <laughs> yeah. That's absolute bogus, made up manipulation of statistics. That unemployment rate has to do with how long someone gets their unemployment benefits. And after a, a certain amount of time goes by, you sorry, you don't get a check anymore. So even though you're not unemployed and you have no money and you can't eat, you don't count as unemployed anymore. That's right. That's right. And so, and the other thing is, is when you replace a full time job with two part time jobs, which is what's happening. Oh, quick of... aside right there. <laughs> Why on earth would you replace a full time job with with two part-time jobs. If you haven't given any thought to that, there's a lot we need to be thinking about here. Well, yeah. I mean, we've got the new Health Care Act coming online right now, and companies are adjusting. And a lot of the people who are supportive of the administration putting in place, or you know, the unions are like, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, this is killing the 40-hour work week. No, Tim Ferriss killed the 40-hour work week. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Because you only have to pay benefits as an employer for full-time employees part-time employees know. So a lot of companies are downsizing jobs, not people. They're just saying, oh, your job's no longer full-time, it's part-time. Now you need two jobs. Oh, and neither one will pay you a benefit. Well, and the other issue, just talking about the employment report. So they announced, I believe, the July numbers. And when they came out, they had to revise down the June and May numbers or something like that. It was either either August in the previous two months. Or, but the point is, is that what you thought you were listening to when they were initially released was much rosier than what it really turned out to be. The point is, is that when you have people who are no longer participating in the workforce, they don't count on the unemployment rolls, and yet they are still people out there that have an impact on the economy. And most importantly, they're not producing. And the big problem that we have in America right now is we just don't have enough people working compared to how many people we have consuming you know, through our cost of government and all the entitlement programs and all that. Again, we're not here to be political. We're just saying this is the math. This is how it is. Oh, this isn't political. This is 100% economical. One of the startling statistics to me was the number of people in this country, not necessarily citizens, but in the U.S. population, who are getting food stamps. It's 46 million people. That's 15% of the U.S. population. Yeah, and even more than that, 100 million are in some sort of subsidy, which means they're probably not going to be home buyers, and they're certainly not going to be pushing up the appreciation another 20 or 30%. So it's kind of a wake-up call. And the big takeaway from this part, I think, of the discussion is the fact that there is less workforce in America. They're working for less money, and they're doing less productive things. 
none of that bodes well for a big old run-up in housing. Well, and they're paying more to live. Gas costs more. Health care costs more. I mean, college education certainly costs more. I mean, even the basic things, food costs more. And if you've gone from having one full-time job with benefits to two part-time jobs with no benefits, you may have the same income, but now you got to pick up your own health care expense. And so you have all of these headwinds, all of these weights, these factors that are landing smack on the middle class person out there who is trying to figure out a way to either make that house payment or make their rent every month. And so whether you're a single family home investor and you're betting on the home ownership market to drive up your value so you can reap that equity down the road, or whether you're a multifamily real estate investor and you're counting on people who are going to be able to pay that rent every month on your apartment complex or your fourplex or whatever it is you've got. You have to be paying attention to these things uh, and it really bodes into the concept of market selection and things we're going to talk about in the latter half of the show uh, because the statistics, there's so much smoke and mirrors out there. We just felt like it was so important. Well, everybody's getting all hot and bothered. We're not down on the market at all. People are going to make a lot of money in this market, right? We want you to participate in the market, but you've got to be smart about it. All right, that's enough of the smoke. We come back, some of the mirrors, and an opportunity for you to win a prize when we play Real Estate Trivia up next on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real Estate Investment Advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. The votes are in, and this year's Investor Summit at Sea was a massive hit. Summiteers called it life-changing far beyond expectations, which were very high, and the best summit yet. If you missed the boat this year, then make plans to join us in 2014. You'll spend an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals, and you'll have a blast. Join the Real Estate Guys for the 12th Annual Investors Summit. It all begins March 8, 2014 in Houston, Texas. Visit Real Estate Guys Radio and click the tab that says Summit to sign up for the advanced notice list. You'll get all the details the minute they get released so you can reserve your spot. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 12th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. Too many people become victims of frivolous lawsuits and scammers simply because they were unprepared. At Corporate Direct, we use the latest legal tools to help our clients of all sizes create a strategy to protect what is theirs. Asset protection is not only for the wealthy. Our strategies and tools are very affordable and practical. Give us a call at 1-800-600-1760 or go to CorporateDirect.com to see how we can help you. That's 1-800-600-1760 for CorporateDirect.com. Looking for solid cash flow in a market where the jobs are likely to stay put? Hi, this is Robert Helms. Join me for the Real Estate Guys Investor Field Trip to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm excited to show you this affordable real estate market where cash flow is the name of the game. You'll meet active developers, rehabbers, property managers, plus folks from the Chamber of Commerce and many surprise guest speakers. Find out how the four R's of Memphis will virtually ensure a steady supply of qualified tenants. For all the details, visit realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Join me in Memphis for an amazing cash flow weekend. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click events. Hi, this is Garrett Sutton, Rich Dad's advisor. Remember, equity happens, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. 
Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Tell a friend about the show. We need more listeners, even though we are stacking up really nicely for this month. So thanks for listening to the program. We're talking today about the housing market specifically and what's going on and how real it may or may not be. Before we get back to that discussion, and we've got some strategies left to share with you, uh, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you a question that has something to do with real estate, and you are going to figure out the answer in that big brain of yours. Then send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and the answer to the question and your mailing address so that if you get it right, we can send you the prize, which is a copy of the great book by Remax founder Dave Leniger, My Next Step, an inspiring, inspiring book. You're going to love it. It's going to be yours if you're the first one to get this week's Real Estate Trivia question. Last week on The Real Estate Guys, it was one of our favorite topics, Ask the Guys. And here was our question. Name the U.S. city that makes the world's largest enchilada at the whole enchilada fiesta every year. The answer, Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's the place where they do the whole enchilada fiesta. In fact, it is coming right up September 27th to the 29th, 2013. Las Cruces, New Mexico is the place to be. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. What country has the most churches per capita? Of all the countries out there, and there's more than 200 of them, which one has the most churches per capita? If you think you know or you want to take a guess, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com and be sure to include your name and mailing address so we can get you a copy of Dave Leniger's book, My Next Step. If you're the winner, what country has the most churches, not the most number of churches, but compared to the population? That is today's real estate trivia question. So markets are up across the country and yet refinancing is slowed down. Financing is slowed down. Interest rates are up. What else is going on? Landlords are having a hard time pushing the rents up. Oh, there's a good one. So we have more tenants than we've had in a lot of years. There's a greater number of renting households than there have been in many, many, many years. And for the last few years, most landlords have been able to inch up their pricing, what they charge tenants to rent but not so far so fast. Right now, there's some resistance. Yeah, so this is an article from National Real Estate Investor Magazine, and it's September 7th, and uh, it says, Are multifamily rents reaching their peak? Well, of course, you know, we just got done talking about all the things that are weighing down on the poor renter who's got to go out to work every day and earn enough money to come home and pay the rent, plus pay for the health care, plus pay for the groceries and the gas. And so now it doesn't surprise me that this headline's here, but it opens up with the next time your property management software recommends raising the rent on multifamily lease renewals, you might want to think twice. Well, when does the property management software tell you to do that? when you're fully occupied it's right. like hey you've got a lot of occupancy here so you can push the price a little bit uh, because there's a lot of demand in the market that's conventional wisdom but this article quotes victor kalinog vice president of research and economics for reese as landlords may be reaching the limits of what they can charge for marginal rent increases in markets across the country, rents have been rising faster than incomes. And that's really the point that we're trying to make. Rents have been rising faster than incomes. You greedy landlords. But it's not the only thing no, that's no, no, been no. rising faster than incomes. Lots of things have been rising 
faster than incomes. Almost everything. Exactly. So this is where you have to tread carefully because value in your income producing property is based on the income it produces. The more income, the more value. The path to equity is by increasing the income. And you listen to Kenny McElroy, read his book, ABC's Real Estate Investing. His bread and butter formula is go buy a property that's underperforming, do things to fix it up, make it nicer, manage it better, drive up the income. And the occupancy. And the occupancy, drive down the expenses and create more equity and then refinance that equity back out again, return the capital to the investors and go forward with a property that you basically get an infinite return on. That's his bread and butter formula. And it's, I can think of about 500 million reasons why it works pretty good, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, he's doing great with it. So now you've got the combined cost of housing, the article goes on to say, and transportation in the nation's largest 25 metros have swelled by 44% since the year 2000, while household incomes have only risen 25%. That means for every dollar household incomes have gone up, housing and transportation costs have gone up a buck 75. And that's according to the Center for Housing Policy, a research affiliate of the National Housing Conference and the Center for Neighborhood Technology. So Kalanon goes on to say, given how tight the national market has become, historical data suggests that rent growth ought to be accelerating. That's based on occupancy, but based on incomes, not so much. Well, there's the whole thing, right? Occupancy is up because there's more tenants, and we haven't been keeping pace with new housing starts. It's why a guy like Ken can do really well because he's repositioning existing assets. Now, he's doing some ground-up construction, but that's very limited compared to the rest of his portfolio. Same is true for most of those guys. There's not a lot of new home permits for multifamily sweeping the nation because, again, it doesn't make sense. So what happens is when the property gets full, you think, well, it's time to raise the rent, except in many, many more marketplaces, your tenant will move over a $25 rent increase. You probably wouldn't, but your tenant will. And what are the two most expensive things to buy and hold real estate? Vacancy and turnover. Bingo. So when I decide I'm going to get all puffy and raise my rent $25 and they move, who's got the problem? I've got the problem. Now I've got to turn that thing. You know they're not keeping it in great shape. It's going to cost me money. It's going to sit there on the market, and there's probably not a line of people waiting to rent it for $25 more. There's probably a line of people waiting to rent it, but not for $25 more. So you go through the turnover expense, but you don't get the benefit of the extra income. And then to close out this article, this guy Kalinog says, rent growth remains muted due to relative weakness in the labor market ah. uh, resilient though it has been and tepid wage growth so you have again the weak labor market which we've been talking about right this is the problem it's it, it really always comes down to jobs and even though we have a quote-unquote recovery it's largely been a jobless recovery and the jobs that we have been creating haven't been high income jobs and they're not the right jobs for a lot of reasons so this is just too much negativity for one show i just want you guys to understand what's really out there and again we're not not saying the market isn't strong a lot of markets are strong you just have to think as a long-term real estate investor are the signs there that this is likely to continue and then the bigger question what strategy do you implement because real estate is a great investment in all market times if you play it correctly Absolutely. I mean, I think the important thing to consider here is we've been talking almost exclusively about macro factors. 
And the thing is, real estate is not a macro asset class, you know? So we have that debate all the time. And hopefully on the summit in 2014, Peter and I can get into that again, because real estate is not an asset class like gold is, like, you know, a stock. That is the same price pretty much anywhere in the world. But real estate is not like that. I mean, there's pretty much not even two houses that are exactly the same. And so it's really hard to just throw it all in a bucket and go, oh, the real estate market is this way or that way. And it isn't. We see the disparity all the time in terms of occupancy, in terms of rents, in terms of the strength of the local economy, in terms of what you can get for rent, and so on. Now, the macro factors are going to be interest rates and things like that, which we've already discussed. So really, how do you play this game is you've got to pick markets that are going to be the most resilient in the kind of economy we have. Well, there you go. So let's just take what we've talked about in terms of where the real job market is today. It's not high-paying six-figure salaries. That's not what we're seeing today. What we're seeing is fewer hours, lower pay, different types of jobs. And yet all those people need to sleep under a roof. And we have the amazing opportunity to become landlords to them and a lot of people just like them. So how do you do that? Make sure you're picking markets where the jobs are there, where they're sustainable, where they're likely to be tomorrow, and where there is not just a tenant in the property, but lots of tenants for whom that property might work. And you absolutely have to do your homework. We talked about Kenny and the way he does this. Kenny doesn't just go out and buy any property that looks like he could fix it up. He has a certain class of property in a, in a certain range. He knows what the prices are going to be. He has certain things that he likes to do that have been winners in the past. In other words, what improvements can I make that will probably get the tenant to pay me more money? But the fundamentals are you can't take it above what the market will bear. Not only that, Kenny works in a small handful of very carefully selected markets. There are way more states that he and Ross do not invest in than states they do invest in. The states they are actively pursuing, you can count on one hand and have a finger or two left over. That means that he is being very strategic and, as you say, Bob, doing his homework. This is how you need to think. What are the markets that can deliver returns? Not only cash flow returns, those are absolutely critical, but have the best opportunity to perhaps have some sort of capital gain in the future. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking obviously about marketplaces that have uh, economies and job creation. They're business friendly and they have businesses that are linked in some way, shape or form to the geography. Yeah. In other words, it's not easy to move or they're very tied to huge amounts of infrastructure which would be very difficult to replace or replicate uh, so it goes back to that old adage location 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 uh, and that's certainly true even in investing maybe not so much from an aesthetic desirability perspective but from an economic perspective but yep. uh, still it needs to be geographic I think the other thing that's really important to consider is price point you know you've got people out there needing to rent but you know you've got people who are trying to live on fixed income for example, the military, the pay raises are, are being decreased. They were supposed to go up 1.8%. They're only going to go up 1%. Well, you may not be renting to military, but that's an indication of where the government is going with respect to its commitments to the people it's supporting. And there's about 100 million of them. So whether it's Social Security or Medicare benefits or whatever, there's a possibility. In fact, you could call it a probability that those people are not going to be seeing the same level of incomes and their incomes aren't going to keep up with the rising expenses either. And I've got this other article by BlackRock I want to get into in a little bit that talks about the, the factor of inflation. But the point is, is that people are going to be able to have less money to afford to 
pay to live. And so if you have a choice between buying a property that rents for $2,500 a month for a single family or a single person versus one that's renting for seven or $800 a month, where do you think the greater demand is more likely to be as people continue to experience the negative effects of inflation on their standard of living? The tenant markets are like a big pyramid. And at the bottom, the widest part is where the rents are the lowest and the most people can afford them. Now, those are also pretty tough neighborhoods usually. As you get to the very, very top, you have very elite properties with super high premiums on rent. And probably when that great tenant moves out, it takes you months, if not years, to find a new one. So a great place to play is maybe not at the absolute bottom. And I know we have listeners who will disagree because that's where they do play, but just right above that, because those are the places when times are good, the people in the lower markets will move up to. And when times are bad, the people right above that will move down. There's always someone who can move into that price range. When we come back, we'll give you some more ideas and talk about some specific markets that look interesting. This is the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. It's safe to say that most of us could make a better cheeseburger than McDonald's. Pull up Google for the best recipe, buy the meat, fire up the grill, voila. But there are only a handful of people that have created a business model and system like theirs. McDonald's is successful because of their system, not their food. The infinite banking concept is one of the best financial systems that has ever existed. It helps start the pampered chef, JCPenney, and Disney World, plus thousands of other businesses. Learn more about the infinite banking concept from our friends at Paradigm Life today by visiting www.beyourbank.com or by calling 1-800-870-8670. Choosing the right market is one of the most important decisions you need to make as a real estate investor. You're looking for infrastructure, diverse and durable industry, and the right kind of jobs. So let's see if you can spot this market. It's home to more than 80 accredited universities, a Federal Reserve Bank, and more than 1,200 multinational companies. Need some more hints? It's one of the top 10 MSAs and is home to 10 Fortune 500 companies, including UPS, Coca-Cola, NCR, and Home Depot. Still stumped? It's third on the list of most Energy Star buildings in the U.S., has the second tallest hotel in the Western Hemisphere, and it boasts the world's busiest airport. Did you guess Atlanta? You're right. And there's so much more to discover about Atlanta, including the specific neighborhoods where fully rehabbed houses cash flow like crazy, yet sell to investors for far less than $100,000. So come take a look. Join the Real Estate Guys investor field trip to Atlanta, Georgia. For all the details, visit realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Experience this incredible market for yourself and hang out with the Real Estate Guys. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hi, this is Donald Trump, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for putting up with all this doom and gloom we've had today. It's not really bad stuff. You just have to get your mind around it. The markets are back in many places. But, you know, take an overheated market like the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, right? We've got real estate rates are going up and so forth, and there are some new jobs, but it's not like it was. There aren't a whole bunch of dot-com millionaires anymore. There's not starting salaries at $250,000. What we're seeing is a lot of cash buyers buying property that would never cash flow from an investor standpoint, but that's not why they're buying it. That market scares me. 
Well, the other thing is, is you have absolutely no ability for that marketplace to increase supply. It's really completely built out. And so from a long-term capital appreciation perspective, great. What's going to happen is the rich will continue to pay more to live in a great part of the world, and it is a great part of the world, and more and more poor people will get priced out. Those are the people that will move to Texas. They'll move to Tennessee. They'll move to Nevada. They'll move to Arizona. They'll go places where they can find work. They'll go places where they can afford to live on their the kind of wages that they're going to get paid. Well, that's my point. Those places they're going to go, that's the place you want to be as that, an investor. Exactly, exactly. And so these demographic trends are really important in this particular marketplace. And the baby boomer demographic, I think, is one that a lot of folks have been around real estate. And Bob, maybe you can comment on this because you've been around real estate longer than anybody I know. You know, you've got this situation where these guys, you know, are retiring and they their their pensions uh, maybe aren't there, or aren't as big as they thought they were. Their 401ks, uh, their stock portfolio, maybe it's come back a little bit, but depending on, you know, where they were when the crash occurred and where they are today and how much they've been able to contribute since. Uh, home equity may or may not be there like it was. Uh, and maybe they're feeling a lot less certain about keeping their money in the market and they want to be a little bit more conservative. Well, and that's time Bob talk about that because I think if you look at the baby boomer generation, we already know that a huge number of those folks plan on moving. We've talked about that on the show. It's already been determined. The question is where. Exactly. And of course, the point you make, Russ, is this. A lot of them may have had some interesting retirement plans that aren't coming to fruition simply because of the scale back everywhere. So you have to say, where are those people going? If they own property, as a lot of them will, that has equity, they'll be in a position to be able to sell that and then decide where they're going to relocate. Now, they're not required to sell. They might live there. But going back a long time ago, Robert, when you and I were doing real estate in California, one of the first things we saw was children's inability to continue to live near mom and dad because of the terrible high cost. And of course, today, many of those very kids aren't buying the parents' house. They're moving to places where there are resource-based jobs, where there is a good chance, a better than average chance that there will be jobs and employment in the future. So I think my point is that with this particular demographic is these are folks that are going to have pretty stable incomes, could be government subsidized incomes, but not like Section 8 type incomes. I mean, these are going to be good quality people that are going to be long-term tenants, are going to take care of the property, and they're going to be looking for marketplaces where they can have a good quality of life. They can have a nice suburban lifestyle. They can have amenities, travel, medical is going to be real important to them. And, you know, where it used to be maybe the kids got priced out from the parents it's now maybe the parents are getting priced out from the kids are going to move to where the kids have to live and so i just think there's going to be a real opportunity in areas where you have a low price point but not low quality it's high quality of life low tax and affordable price points. I think that's where the real opportunity is going to be until this American recovery really turns into a recovery that's producing jobs and growing incomes. Well, you know, we haven't mentioned tax so far, and we are running out of time, but absolutely baby boomers and anyone who's feeling crunched by the, the dollar reality today in their job is going to look at a place where they could instantly save 8 to 10%, and there's a handful of states in the U.S. that don't have state income tax. And that can make a huge difference. And businesses are going to be doing the same thing. I mean, businesses will move uh, when they can 
uh, if they want to stay in the United States, they'll move to places within the United States that are going to be more favorable towards them. Obviously, Texas, you know, Rick Perry came out and he made a, a big announcement in California. Hey, you know, California small business, quit being abused by California and come out here to Texas. And, you know, you're seeing that happen. Obviously, Texas has been doing great with job creation. No surprise that we've been a fan of the Dallas-Fort Worth market and now Houston and, you know, Austin's doing great. I mean, every major marketplace in Texas is great. Tennessee has been a great market for distribution. You know, it's why we do the Memphis field trip there. Atlanta is this big hub, state capital, the state of Georgia, you know, big distribution hub. It's got a lot of the major infrastructure, medical, transportation, uh, educational. It's, it's places where people can go and have a great quality of life, a great suburban quality of life with all the amenities for a fraction of what they would pay in New York or Boston or San Francisco. And people will eventually, being priced out of the market, will discover these places your mission is to discover them first absolutely so your homework from today is to go look at some different markets and say hey where what makes sense what makes sense long term if i'm going to be a real estate investor and i'm going to rely on someone else paying the rent so that i can make my mortgage payment where's the best chance of that happening and you know you're a big boy you're a big girl you can figure that stuff out obviously we lead field trips to the marketplaces that we like a lot and i think we've done pretty well i mean we've been going to memphis tennessee now for three years that market was the number one cash flow market last year. We're about to go on our second trip to Atlanta. Went there first 18 months ago. Atlanta now one of the markets that's doing super good. And, and, and we're also seeing that, we're, you know, Texas and the Texas markets continue to be strong at the right price point. And so there's a lot of great opportunity out there. Uh, I think it's really a matter of getting in touch with your investment philosophy and then doing the research. We'd love to have you come on one of our trips. You can check out the markets that we're going to on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on events and come with us on a field trip. But whatever you decide to do in real estate, make sure you understand the why beneath the what. Don't just invest because fools are rushing in. Make sure you get to the fundamentals and understand the long-term likelihood of continued success in the market. Next week on the show, we're going to talk about something really cool, when and how you need a real estate attorney. We're going to talk about hiring an attorney, finding one, what to use them for. It's going to be a great show. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers. Low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct. Asset protection strategies for real estate investors. From attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.